This is Revelation Response, a podcast where we talk about who God is, what He's done in our lives, and how we can't help but respond in worship. We want these episodes to be an encouragement wherever you are in your faith journey, to pay attention to what God is saying to you, and to consider how you might respond. Now, here's my conversation with Rob Sweet. Hey, well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Nate Souza, and uh, today I've got Rob Sweet uh, with me on the show. Uh, Rob, it's great to have you. And uh, maybe just tell the folks that don't know um, what you do at the church and your role. Well, really fun to be with you here, Nate. Yeah. And uh, I'm the lead pastor at Fellowship Bible Church. Mm-hmm. So I work kind of at both of our campuses, at our Brentwood campus and our Franklin campus. Yeah. And how long have you been in your, I guess, at Fellowship total? We moved here in 2014. Okay. And I started at our Franklin campus as the teaching pastor for that campus. Okay. We don't do it this way exactly now, but back then I was sort of the anchor teacher, and then we had some others that rotated. Gotcha. And then uh, my role changed in 2017 Mm -hmm. to lead pastor of both campuses. Okay. Cool. So you do a lot of the teaching at Fellowship. Yep. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd and I okay. essentially do 50-50, and then mm-hmm. we've got some other folks that come in from time to time. Okay. That's awesome. And what was your experience like before Fellowship? I know that maybe Chick-fil-A was part of that. What's the whole story there? You heard about the there? chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The chicken. Yeah, so coming out of college, so I, I went to college at University of Georgia, which was out of okay. state for me. I grew up in Virginia. Go dogs. Go dogs. 100%. <laughs> great, great time to be a dog. Uh-huh. And... Um, Graduated from Georgia, went to work for Chick-fil-A corporate office, okay. which, you know, in Georgia, Chick-fil-A, there's Coca-Cola, there's Chick-fil-A. I mean, oh, okay. They're the two big Georgia, Atlanta-based companies. Gotcha. Well, Delta Airlines, I should add them as well. But I really wanted to work for Chick-fil-A because of their values. Okay. Love the chicken, but really love the company, the values. Yeah. So worked with them for seven years, traveled around helping restaurants. Um, I was in the operations department. My role was called a business consultant. Okay. So I'd come and visit the restaurants that were assigned to me and make sure that they were maximizing their opportunity mm. you know, from customer service to food quality to financials. It's kind of all those things. Okay. Did you eat more Chick-fil-A than you would have ever thought imaginable? <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I do. Okay. I don't, I don't know that it was more back then because I yeah. eat now a lot as well. Okay. So. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good... Okay. Well, now what's your order at Chick-fil-A? Well, okay. So it... it I get into it's sort of themes. Okay. Right now, I'm definitely the spicy deluxe pepper jack cheese. Yeah. No tomato because I don't really like tomato. Huh. But um, man, it's so good. And you get pair that up with like a lemonade, even better frosted lemonade, uh-huh. waffle fries. Ooh. I know what I'm having for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and half our listeners are now. Right. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Chick-fil-A in any way, but we blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. So you're at Chick-fil-A for how long before you start saying, I, I might look to ministry now? To Well, tricky question, because mm-hmm. even when I came to Chick-fil-A, I had ministry in the back of my mind. Okay. And I even told the guy that hired me, I said, uh, he, he, the way he offered me the job was he said, how'd you like to spend the rest of your life with Chick-fil-A? Oh, wow. Literally the way he said it. Not that many people left once you got a job. <laughs> okay. And I said, well, I'd love the job, but I want you to know I don't think it's the rest of my life because mm. I think someday God wants me to be a pastor, but I don't know when. Uh. And I was a little risky to say that during the job offer. Yeah. It was a phone call and he just paused for a bit. And then he said, well, if God called you to that, that's where we'd want you to. Uh. So it was a really, That's really cool. good response. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was right away, but but to answer maybe your real question, probably five to six years in, 
Jody and I started talking seriously about a move okay. to go to seminary. I'd started taking classes by extension to put my toe in the water. Okay. And I really loved it. It was kind oh, of a cool. confirmation of what I really wanted to do. Okay. And would you say now speaking is a big part of, uh, I guess, your passion? Um, I mean, there's obviously the organizational leadership and all that. But, um, I mean, when you're preaching, it seems like you're in your sweet spot. No pun intended. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I do love that. So I, I yeah. wear two main hats. There's mm-hmm. the teaching hat and the leading hat. And I do really enjoy them both. Yeah. Um, if I if you were to say you could only do one and not both, mm-hmm. that'd be hard. But I would say don't take the teaching away. Yeah. And and that that fits in a lot of the theme here. It it it's sort of it, teaching is a form of expression. Mm. Um it, it's a form of responding to what God's word has been doing in yeah, me. Yeah. And it's coming out both in the preparation, but it's also coming out in real time. I'm, I'm sort of responding to, and I'm expressing uh, from what God has done to me. So I do genuinely love that as a big part of what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. So a lot, I think a lot of people that go to fellowship may not know that um, you are musical. Um, some, if uh, maybe if you go far enough back, have seen you play trumpet. <laughs> I guess it's been here at, at our Franklin campus. Have been up on stage. Well, let me let me just be clear on what we're talking <laughs> yes, about and uh, what we're not talking okay. about. Okay. I have played trumpet one time here, uh-huh. and it was a spoof. It, it was, yeah. Okay. It, it was um, it was a gag. I don't I don't play very well anymore. But okay. there I had my day. When I started at Georgia, I was a I was a music major. Okay. And I was serious about it. Yeah. And um so I, I was pretty good in my day, but now it just it sits on my shelf. Yeah, and you look at every, it. Every for fun. <laughs> I'll pick it up for fun every now and then. It's okay. Now I don't play any uh brass or woodwind or anything. So is it one of those things if you don't do it a lot? It, it goes away real th- like fast. Maybe as much as any instrument. Okay. It w- would be trumpet. Okay. Uh, because the muscles in your embouchure, that just like any other muscle, they will atrophy. Gotcha. And so I can I can pick up my trumpet today, and and I could play for maybe three or four minutes. Yeah. And then it would start sounding terrible because the muscles can only oh, okay. do a little. Like you're bit. out of shape. Very, that very. Way. Yeah, that's okay. like that's, it'd be like trying to run huh. if you haven't run in a long time. Yeah, okay. which happens to me all the time. Every time <laughs> I try to run or do anything. Um, okay, so this is kind of a segue into um, music and your story. Like this is maybe something people might not know about you. Um, just how you've thought about music growing up, like what role it played in your life. So maybe take us back to like little Rob <laughs> growing up and maybe set the scene for uh, like, where, where'd you live? What was your life like with your folks and all that? Yeah. So the biggest thing about my growing up years, my dad was in the military. He was an air force um, officer. So we moved around a good bit. Mm. Now I was fortunate that I got settled around late elementary and we didn't move after that. Cause he, he got out after 20 years and took a different job. Mm. But my earliest years, we moved around a lot. Uh, so that was little Rob moving around different places. Mm-hmm. M- music wise, my dad, m- my mom sung in the choir at church. Not that much into music, but my dad and his whole f- side of the family, very musical. Mm. My dad plays piano, plays string bass, sings very well. His brother, all those kinds of things. They, they kind of have a musical family. Mm. I remember my first memory of music would be two things. One would be in church, standing with my parents, hearing both of my parents sing. 
and sing well, sing loud. Oh, My yeah. dad would do the harmony. Like he'd be that one guy okay. in the church. Yeah, yeah. One guy. Up on the tenor part. Like he'd, be, the- he'd get up on the tenor <laughs> part. Of course, we'd all like, kind of like, you know, want to shrink down right. a little bit. So that's not our dad. Yeah. That was our dad. And then uh, that's my first memory. My second memory would be putting headphones on in our living room and putting my dad's record player on. Mm. He had uh, his collection of music was mostly classical. Um, So I really liked classical music even before I started playing trumpet. Mm. We're not talking about deep classical, but kind of pop classical. Okay, yeah. I mean, light classical is what I really remember. um, Loving the sound of a full orchestra with the brass. Yeah playing something that kind of got my heart beating a little bit. That's cool. Okay. So as you got older, uh, what were you listening to? Like, what were you kind of into music-wise? Like, how did that work? Yeah, I kind of was a little bit of a Christian nerd when I got (laughs) into music. So, okay, so a little bit of my family history was um, my family, mostly the extended family around me were were pretty skeptical of any non-Christian or non-instrumental, okay. anything that was that was vocal non-Christian, they were going to be skeptical of because of the message. I take it of the music. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So rock and roll was not something that was played in, in our home. It wasn't something my dad or my mom listened to. Okay. Um, yeah, just, just a little bit of legalism there as I look back on mm-hmm. it now. But what was okay was any kind of Christian music. Okay. So I grew up. Let's see. Born in '75. So right about when I became a teenager, we're talking about late 80s, early 90s. And I kind of claim the early 90s as the time when I, I was really, um, you know, my, those are my high school years. Yeah. So I got a CD player in probably 1990. That was a really big deal. And my oldest sister, I've got two older sisters, one younger brother. She's eight years older than me. She listened to Amy Grant, Michael mm. W. Smith, Twyla Paris, oh, yeah. some of these old ones. Uh-huh. And she gave me my first ever CD, which was Stephen Curtis Chapman's For the Sake of the Call. Oh, yeah. Which was is still, I'd say, one of the albums that's had the biggest impact on me. Huh. And and for sure, the artist who's had the biggest impact Yeah, really? On me. Okay. So I remember wearing that CD out. And then... From there, got into a lot of the other um, Christian artists that were popular at the time, and then some that weren't a little more obscure mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed and really listened to. So all throughout high school, contemporary Christian music was very formative. Mm. And of course, I, I liked it musically, which, you know, l- listening back to some of those songs now, I, I, you kind of wince mm-hmm. a little bit with yeah. some of it. It's, like, it's not aged well. Right? Right. Some of it's not aged well. Yeah. But... I just remember it wasn't just the the music of it. It was there was some connection to my new and growing relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. It it just nurtured and fed it in a very important way for me. Mm. Was that more of a lyrical thing? Uh, I mean, I, I remember listening to the for, for the sake of the call as well. You know, and. Um, it was a very like challenging album, like to get out there and to like you know um, s- spread the gospel and to talk about you know Jesus with your friends and like all that stuff. And I just remember like okay, I can go do this, you know, like yes. um, pumping me up sort of thing. Yes. Um, is there was there more to it than that for you? Um, we had talked before about like uh, journaling or just putting more thought into music maybe than the average listener. Maybe talk a little bit about 
some of that? Yeah. So around the same time in my life, so this was early high school, maybe freshman, sophomore year of high school, Mm -hmm. I went to a youth group retreat. And I don't remember a thing that was said from the stage, but the the leader, like there was a college kid that was helping out with our youth group and mm-hmm. specifically my little small group. Like it, it, if you go to fellowship, it'd be the equivalent of 242 group okay. that I was in. He suggested to us that we start journaling. And what he meant by that was not like talk about your day, but talk to God, like write out your prayers, okay. prayer, prayer journal. Yeah, like a written down prayer. Right. Uh-huh. So I started doing that and it just made my faith come to life. And I, I mean that in the literal sense. So what had sort of existed in some intellectual, yes, I believe these things in the Bible space mm-hmm. now became something real and tangible to me. Mm. A, it was a real relationship someone that I was actively talking to. Yeah. It did something different in me than just praying in my head did. It, it, mm-hmm. it made it more solid. And B, I actually had a physical thing <laughs> right, yeah. that that I could read later and, and write on that actually, again, added... Um, Adding something, added something solid and tangible mm. to my relationship with God. So I'd say that's when I my faith became my own, was when I started writing out my prayers. And the, the way that I would describe it to people now is I'm encouraging other people to do that too, because it's been so revolutionary for me and I still do it to yeah. this day. Okay. They just sit down, imagine you're sitting next to God and he's kind of looking over your shoulder and he's reading what you're writing. Mm. And just, you know, don't, don't censor. Yeah. Don't, don't edit. Just write. Yeah. So... That started in me at the same time I was listening to this album and others. Okay. And you're right, Nate. I mean, the very first lines of the first song of that album, we will abandon it all (laughs) for the sake of the call. And then it it puts you in the place of those disciples, Mm -hmm. you know, on the edge of the lake. And uh, I just remember, this is what I, this is what I want. This is, this is, uh, there's something in me that is resonating with this message of following Jesus, of making him, prime in my life mm-hmm. and I, I connected with that and, yeah. and it, it was the lyrics yeah for sure maybe let's talk a little bit about um the power of putting a lyric like a good lyric with powerful music <laughs> how that can be different than just like reading you know like if the text of that album was a like pamphlet <laughs> you know and you just read it and you get to know what it says and like well that's pretty cool you know um what is it about music for you i guess personally like that stirs something like why why is it more attractive i guess to learn something that way than it is through just like a a pamphlet of the lyrics you know what i mean yeah that is a really good question and interestingly i also was a reader in that time Mm -hmm. but the books i was reading although they were helpful they didn't feel like what you're describing. So I'm connecting to your question. Mm. And I don't know how to answer it. It al- it almost feels like magic mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Like intangible, um, like how to <laughs> How is it that putting putting a musical score under even under something? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that you could accomplish a little bit of that just by scoring words written on a page. Right, yeah. But then when you put the words themselves into the melody yeah. and when you get it right, yeah. There's something in me that um it it it's like the the pistons fire differently or or it it it, uh, it lights up a part of my brain mm-hmm. that um is is not lighting up a part. Yeah. 
from it. And when I think you can align those theologically, and there's my soul's being stirred, and the lyrics are speaking truth and conviction that mm-hmm. I have in my heart. Yeah, it becomes very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me too. It's um, also easier to remember, you know, like I can sing for the sake of the call. <laughs> like I, you know, I, the lyrics are there, the melody's there. And I remember learning, cutting my teeth on guitar, like to that album, Jars of Clay, like early DC talk. Yeah. That was my, you know, time to where I like poured into music. I was like, I'm doing this, you know? And so that's one of the things that, you know, is that music is very easy to take with you, you know, and a melody and a three minute song, you can digest that and still remember it, you know, whatever, 30 plus years later of I was there, you know, and did you ever see Stephen Curtis Chapman in concert? Cause that also solidified asking it. <laughs> that question. Are you kidding? How many times? How many times? Did you How see? many? Uh, yeah. Countless okay. times. As many times as I could get. There. Yeah. So that also has a way for me of like grounding me in something is like I was there at the concert. I had the poster on my wall. I had that. It creates kind of a whole thing around it. Yeah. Um, and how great to do that with Christian music, you know, to uh, to put actual truth up on my wall and to say, I love this you know, album or whatever. So, yeah. So let me comment on this for a minute. I, You're right. It's port. It's memorable. It's portable. Mm -hmm. But there's something beyond that. Um, The only other media that I can think that accomplished this is film. Mm -hmm. There, there are scenes from film. Of course, you know, film. You're going to have music involved in that as well. Yeah. Almost always. Almost Uh always. But there are scenes I can think of from certain films that do that same thing in me. That's um, beautiful or powerful. And indescribable, yeah. That, the way that I put it. Um, so I don't know what it is about music mm-hmm. and or other forms of art that can do that, but it is a real thing. And I, I became influenced and even transformed by that combination of good theological truth mm-hmm. and and art in a musical form in high school is yeah. a huge part of my spiritual growth. Yeah. Well, I like what you're doing by ex- ex- uh, taking the circle and drawing it out a little bit to all art, all expression that has the same power as music does, you know? So we've talked a little bit about, uh, I'm not a musician, but I'm a gardener or I'm not a musician, but you know, I'm, I like woodworking or whatever it is. And so maybe we can talk a little bit too about when we talk about revelation response, you know, this whole podcast is set up to look at who God is, what he's done in our lives, um, his character, who he is to us. When we fully understand that and we fully grasp that we can't help but respond in worship. Um, and so when we say worship, we mean we can't help but express, <laughs> you know, for that to come out in some way, you know. And so, you know, as a musician, I'm leading songs because I want people to sing them. I want people to take them with them as they go. I, I love to see people um, emotionally responding to a, a music piece, you know, in a service or streaming or whatever it is. But we know that there's more than that, you know, to expression and, and art in various forms. And so... Um, there's a, a couple of questions that can come out of that. One might be how the, the use of art or the use of this expression in church. You know, we're both uh, planning services all the time and Sunday comes every week. And so maybe talk a little bit about um, when it comes to our services, what's a good way to respond? You know, like when it's not just singing, what are other things that people can be thinking about as a response? Yeah, I really like that question. I want to get to it by starting a little bit broader yeah. in, in, okay. So if you think about the idea of expression, 
and and I would broaden that beyond art, which which is I think kind of where you're going with mm-hmm. this, because I think sometimes a non-artist, like I I don't consider myself an artist, you know. Yeah, I, yeah sure, I dabbled in music, and I never I never was an artist, mm-hmm. and even to this day, I don't have a lot of artistic talent. Mm. So when I think of, oh, the way that you really express something deep is through art, I feel excluded from that. Mm. However, I think any form of expression that has, uh, well, I I think expression requires a shape. It requires a form. It requires something of substance. I I think if you are reflecting on the glory of God or the beauty of a sunset for that matter, and and you don't do anything with it, except it stays inside your head, you know, you have a Mm. thought, but it's not spoken Mm. or it's not sung or it's not painted. That's not expression. Mm. That's an experience you've had internally, Mm -hmm. but you haven't responded to it. You haven't expressed anything. Right. But then when you think about, well, what are the forms of expression? Oh man, there's all kinds of things. It's, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be artistic. And that, that, that's kind of where I want to go. The second point of the question. So when we get to the end of a worship service, oftentimes the way that we encourage our body to express or respond is through song, Mm -hmm. singing, is the the not not just the whether or not they can sing beautifully or not, mm-hmm. but just a physical like there's actual physical vocal cords <laughs> that are being directed by my brain and is uttering a sound that is audible. It's bringing something into existence that mm-hmm. wasn't there before, and that is the sound of my voice proclaiming some truth or acknowledging some uh, revelation. Mm-hmm. But I would love to go beyond that. Yeah. Uh, recently in our worship services, we've been spending more time encouraging people to reflect mm-hmm. and and consider questions. Yeah. And going beyond just I'm sensing something in me to actually having to answer a specific question about that, mm-hmm. I think is helpful. Yeah. I encourage people to take notes. And I, I love the fact that we, where we can, we try to give the scripture journals with lots of note-taking space, mm-hmm. not just for the sermons, but also for people to write down a response. Yeah. And and I'd love for us to keep getting more and more creative because I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of untapped potential that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. It'd be a fun thing to explore. Yeah. So when you're crafting a message, a large part of what you're trying to do, it seems, is to put the spotlight back on Jesus and back on the, what the scripture says. You know, and that to me is revelation. You're pointing to a revelation and saying, notice God. <laughs> Look at Jesus. What is he doing? You know, and so as we talk about, okay, I've seen that, I've experienced that revelation. How do you think about an actual response? Like when you push someone to think about where do you, I guess this is an application. Like, where do you take this? It's for sure one of the hardest parts, maybe the hardest part mm. of writing the message. It's yes, it takes skill to understand and know how to articulate what the main idea of a passage is or give some background information, mm-hmm. but without moving toward that response that you're describing. Yeah. Um, so it really requires you as a teacher to dig in. I, I'll say this. One of the things that I'm very conscious of is an awareness that we're not teaching some textbook of a subject matter mm. that that doesn't have the breath of God in it. This, you know, we, we, say, we say this at the end of every scripture reading, this is the living word of God for us today. Mm. And when I think about what that means, I think the same spirit that authored the scripture, that wrote the scripture through the human instrument 2,000 plus years ago, is the same spirit that is re-speaking the text to me Mm. today as I read. 
or to the congregation as they hear it read and taught. And so that spirit has a purpose for that text in your life today. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher, as I'm thinking about what might that be, of course, if there's 800 people in a congregation, there's in some ways 800 answers, Mm -hmm. but in some (laughs) ways not because the spirit is speaking. He's not going to speak a completely different message than what he wrote in that particular text. Uh So it's going to be a message that's congruent, but it's also going to be one that can be personal Mm -hmm. in its application. So I sometimes will think about one particular person that I know, maybe I know their story, what they're going through, what they're struggling with. And I will try to write an application with that person in mind, knowing that they're really not alone. Right. And then other times I try to write a response question that I know will really invite um, a lot of people, a a broad swath of people to kind of engage and enter and enter into that, that question. But Mm -hmm. I really don't love oftentimes trying to write messages that it, it like go home and tell your child, um, <laughs> you know, I forgive you. Like th- there's some messages that will lend yeah. themselves to that specific, but, but I often off will think to myself, I don't know if that doesn't restrict just a little bit of what the spirit of God may want to speak through this text mm-hmm. to the individuals in the congregation. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a struggle of a balance of trying to give good specific application with giving more room for God to speak through that text and apply it in ways that is unique to individuals. Yeah. And this is how I see art working as well. You know, um, it's this dance of the specific and the general, (laughs) you know, and so even as songwriters wanting to give people language, um, I remember uh, there was a Hillsong movie that came out. It was like a documentary on their church and their whatever. And one of the quotes from that movie was as worship leaders and worship songwriters, we are putting words in people's mouths. <laughs> you know, I never forgot that because it's like, you know, that's a very high calling. I mean, it's different than writing pop songs or country songs or whatever, where people sing along and it's, at the end of the day, it's sort of meaningless language. This is like the opposite. You know, we're telling people here, sing, you know, we don't even do this in sermons, you know, where we say, now speak every word I'm speaking. But when we go to sing, we're saying, hey, lift your voice and sing. And so the the gravity of those words is big, because that was this whole point. It's like, this matters a lot, that they're correct, that they're good theology and all that stuff. And so, you know, when we write these songs, we want everyone in the room to be able to sing it honestly, you know? And like you said, 800 people, 800 stories, you know? So we don't know what they're walking in the room with, you know, or what they're carrying as they look up at the screen and just sing along with everyone else, you know? It's not, uh, it means whatever it means, but people attach different meaning to it based on where they're coming from, you know? And so I think that that's something to think about as we um, as we plan services is being aware. I love thinking about a specific person. Like, that's such a great, because that's, it's a bunch of individuals hearing what you're saying, you know, and, and wanting to be moved by that. That's right. And, and some people approach the scripture like this, where they say, well, it might mean that for you, but it means this for me. Mm-hmm. And who are you to say what God is telling me through this? And so there's something there that, that we need to, to think through. But a song... The lyrics have a message, but you as the songwriter, when you wrote those lyrics, you had in mind your breakup with Mm so-and-so. The the listener, the hearer, not that you're writing breakup songs. At least I haven't heard any (laughs) breakup songs. Not for fellowship songs. Okay. (laughs) 
But the hearer, they might have in mind not not even a relational breakup. They mm-hmm. have in mind some other loss in their life. Yeah, exactly. But but the lyrics are the lyrics, and I think that's the same true with the scripture. The, God's words are God's words, and it it has. Mm-hmm. A meaning it has a context and it has a meaning yet what makes it come to life is the fact that again the author of the text is inside of yeah. me the hearer inside of me the listener the, the reader and it, it's almost like um uh, sitting sitting down with with george gershwin and listening to the music that he composed and he's now right beside you speaking to you mm. about the music through the music yeah helping make that music your own Right. It, it's still Gershwin's music. You can't do anything you want to with it. Yeah, yeah. But you've got the writer uh-huh. of the text. That's what makes it the living word. <laughs> That's what makes it the yeah. living word. And I, I, I can't, I can't talk about this topic enough because I think it's just amazing. It's unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And that's where when we, you know, we teach expositionally at Fellowship, and I'm a Bible geek at heart, and we've got a lot of Bible geeks in some ways in our congregation. Mm-hmm. But when we lose the fact that this is a spiritual exercise, not just an academic exercise, mm-hmm. then um, I think in some ways we, we're putting cotton in our ears to really hear the Spirit speaking the text fresh to us. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, this week, actually, uh, we were at staff meeting, and you were talking about word-centered and spirit-dependent, you know, so two of our values. And I think that you even stopped and said, like, you don't always see these in conjunction like this, you know? And I sat there and thought about that for a while. And I think that's true in songwriting. I think that's true in a lot of things where um, to be so grounded in the Word and so dedicated to um, what it says and what God is speaking through the Bible and through Jesus. But to also say, we don't know what God's going to do with this. You know, it's not fully planned out. I can't tell you X, Y, and Z, you know, as a result of this. That's the spirit-dependent part, you know. And so, um, part of me struggles with service planning and crafting the perfect moment for someone because I think of that second part, that the, it's the Spirit's job to give application, <laughs> you know, like, because we're just humans. We're standing up there saying, you know, trying to be uh, faithful to the text and uh, for us trying to sing true and accurate songs, <laughs> you know, but as that, it's it's different than, um, I guess, in the world, you know, or in a non-Christian environment where you're giving a talk on, you know, how a computer chip works or <laughs> you're singing a song, you know, your Coldplay and you're at the stadium singing. It's different in church because there's this mysterious thing that happens after the, the information goes out that the person now is communing hopefully with God himself, you know, and listening to the Holy Spirit, and that's their application, you know. And so, when we talk about revelation response, I'm seeing more and more that that response is the act of the Spirit in in the life of a person, and that's who I want them to connect with, not to the song, you know, or not to the um, even to the message or to something we said in service, but we're the whole thing is designed to bring them to the foot of the cross with Jesus and commune with Him. And then we sort of get out of the way, which is sort of odd for people that are, you know, the ones doing all the stuff on stage, you know, That's which right. I'm I'm thankful <laughs> that it's not us. Um, I really love that, Nate, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it, you know, I think about this from the particular point of a, of a service, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, a sermon, yeah. but we could apply it to the whole service. At the end of the day, I don't think it's as important that people remembered something I said or Mm -hmm. a particular lyric of a song or 
um, an illustration that was used. I think when when they remember, I think God is telling me to blah blah blah. I yeah. think God's reminded me today that He is He sees me, He cares, or that I'm compelled by God to go such and such. Right. Who cares what we said? <laughs> yeah. And what I what I hear you saying, and I'm agreeing with relating it to preaching as well, is our whole purpose is to create um, the context where God will speak mm. through the scripture, through the response of music, through everything we do in a worship service. Mm-hmm. And and then when people are able to to hear God speak to them and understand who is speaking, then they can respond. They can speak back. They can uh, act, move, love, do all the things that the Spirit of God would call them to do in response to His voice. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's the importance of gathering, I think, you know, when you talk about um, singing and uh you know, physically exerting ourselves to get our expression out. Um, I think I can do that by myself. I can sing in my car. I can sing in the shower. You know, like it doesn't. I don't need to be around anyone. Why do I have to come on Sunday to do that? Like, what's the? I guess for you, like, what's the uh, importance of the incarnational gathering of people? You know, especially nowadays after COVID. You know, the importance of being together is, I think, higher than ever. And so, maybe talk a little bit about that. I love talking about this. And let me actually jump on the word you used. I don't even know if you knew you used it, Mm -hmm. but you used the word incarnational. Mm -hmm. What does that word actually mean? Well, it comes from the Latin caro, which is flesh. Mm -hmm. So it's the embodied. It's the the in in real life, in person, something tangible like our physical bodies together. Okay. Now, where do we get that concept from? God. And, and the incarnation, which is God who didn't have a body mm. I mean, before Jesus was born, spirit only. Jesus Christ, who was pre-existent, took on a body, took on flesh, mm-hmm. you know, around, you know, BC3 or whatever the, the date we think it actually was. But before that particular moment in history, there's no embodiment of God. Mm. Okay, so what does that tell us, that that God did all of that, that he became embodied, that Jesus Christ took on a body? What, what does that teach us? Many things. But one of the things it teaches us is the physical matters. Our bodies matter. God could have expressed his revelation to us so many different ways. He could have live-streamed something from the clouds. <laughs> all kinds of ways. He could yeah. have done a hologram. Uh-huh. He, there's all kinds of things he could have done. Right. Instead, he chose the hardest path, but the path that he knew we needed, which was to be with us, mm. to be together. And if for that reason alone, I would say following Jesus requires incarnational, life-on-life, embodied mm. people living together. We're the image of God. We're the image of a God who incarnated himself. And so... I don't think you can truly live the fullness of your humanness without taking seriously Christ's example to be embodied together in community, in relationship Mm. 
with other people. Mm -hmm. And of course, that takes a lot of forms, you know, friendships, families, marriages, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. But then Jesus calls out the church to Mm -hmm. be a family. Of course, we need to share that same embodiment that is embedded in the human, uh, the humanness of us as well. So, you know, that's big picture. That's theologically. Then there's other practical reasons why it's beneficial as well. But let's mm-hmm. just start with the theology of it. Mm-hmm. God chose a body. God was incarnated. Let's be the same. Yeah, he led the way in that, you know, and showed us, yeah, the importance of it. And then, and if I could jump back in, yeah. for, so for, for COVID time, such an interesting time. <laughs> you know, it, we, we, we kept saying this never happened before. Well, it actually had happened before. There were other pandemics before, mm-hmm. but it hadn't happened in our generation or our parents' generation or, yeah. or really even our grandparents' generation. Sure. So this this was something that was so unique for us. So I remember the sadness that most of us felt of not being able to physically gather. Mm-hmm. And I was very grateful for the technology. Yeah. But I, I actually hope that people felt something's not quite the way it should be. Mm. And the, the degree, Nate, that that we didn't feel that as deeply as we should have, yeah. I think is is partially because our worship services over time, and I'm not talking about just fellowship, but I mm. mean just churches in general, have become, dare I say, less embodied, mm. less incarnational. So when when you can show up in, in a, a large church, like you know we're a fairly large church, and you can sort of be invisible, mm-hmm. and you can I might sing, I might not sing, I might not say a single word the whole time, and I'm I'm going to leave, and mm-hmm. no one knew I was there. Yeah. In essence, why shouldn't you just sit at home mm-hmm. on the couch and consume some spiritual content, yeah. some music, some teaching elsewhere? Why Why shouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So I feel like if we're going to say incarnational presence matters. We have to think through that filter for our whole worship services. And so this is why like, I want to bring back the meet and greet. You know, <laughs> right. A lot of people don't like the meet and greet. It's yeah. like, oh, I hate talking to people or whatever. Uh-huh. But it's just a small way where we say, no, 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 let, let's let's hear the voices around the room. Let's, let's yeah. with, Same thing with singing. Yeah. Let's sing together. Let's join our voices. Sometimes uh-huh. there's other ways we can do that. But I, I think we've got a long way to go to raise the banner of the value of flesh with each other, life on life, incarnational togetherness in our worship. Yeah. There's a cool thing, too, about, um, like, when we started doing corporate readings, you know, or corporate confessions, or um, even just reading, there was a one of the series where you, like, read the scripture of the day together, you know, as a body, and, um, you know, that sound of a whole room on the same page, reading the same words at one time is a very special sound, you know, and um, it kind of, it demands something of us, you know, it's not passive. We can't just sit there and look or, um, you know, uh, consume. We need you. We can't do this part without you, you know, and I've heard Carl say that from the stage sometimes about singing is that we make the worship, we make the music together. It's not just us on stage and you're out there. We need you. So let's lift up a shout of praise, that kind of language. And I think that that's so important um, because it's impossible to do if you're not in the room. You can't do that at home if everyone's streaming. And that was, like you said, the sadness. I really do remember just getting up in the morning on Sunday morning and driving to the worship center completely empty and putting on my guitar and playing four songs to a camera. That was a struggle. I mean, honestly, just going home and Shelly's like, how'd it go? I was like, 
I I don't know. It's just it's very strange, you know, because it that to me felt more like closer to making a TV show than it did to having church, you know. And so it, like you said, it was just a a good reminder to me of the importance of what we do when it's taken away, you know. And all of a sudden, I realize this is not what we were meant for: is to be separate and siloed and not together, you know. And so. There's no response like a corporate response. You know, when we talk about revelation response, um, the body was meant to be a body, <laughs> you know, and not these uh, isolated parts, you know, that are far from each other, but connected and working together, you know. And so I think that's uh, definitely one of the beauties of having a gathered body on a Sunday morning is uh, I, I can't do this alone, you know. Um, and so, I mean, I guess the, yeah, the importance of gathering is is a big topic these days, you know, and calling back, you know, I think a lot of people are back, you know, um, but just the calling back of people back in the room and the importance of singing and, yeah. Well, you mentioned two of our core values earlier, word-centered, yeah. spirit-dependent. Another one of our core values is better together. Mm-hmm. Let's take that literally. Yeah. Together physically. Mm-hmm. The, the the gathering of the body is 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 better mm-hmm. for all of us corporately and individually. Yeah, that's great. So here's like another kind of impromptu <laughs> question for you. Um, a lot of, I think with these um, interviews for the podcast, um, there's a theoretical part of what we're talking about, which is how revelation basically comes to us and our response and how that all works, you know? And so I've been pretty curious about people um, just kind of slowing down the timeline and saying like today, like we're at the tail end of August, you know, are there things that God is revealing to you about himself or um, characters about God? We just started a John series at church, um, you know, for me, like looking at Jesus and some of those questions we're asking, like, what did Jesus do that you can do? You know, what did he say that can push you into a response, you know, like imagine you're there with Jesus, you know? So I wonder if there's anything you can speak to about, um, current (laughs) revelation, uh, to you specifically, and then like what a response might look like, you know, and that could be run the gamut of anything we've talked about, but I'm just curious. I think a theme that God has been impressing on me is, do I love Jesus? And, that's an interesting and difficult question to answer because, of course, we all want to say, yes, mm-hmm. yes, I love you, Jesus. How would I not? You died for me. Yeah. But it's the question that Jesus chose to ask Peter multiple times at the very end. After all, he'd been with him three plus years. Mm. And, and Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter got upset with Jesus. You know, it's like, how can you ask me this? Right. I've been with you three years. You know I love you. Yeah. But it was a loving question Jesus was asking him. So Jesus has been asking me this question. I think my answer, you know, I, I'm probably slower to answer today than I would have 10 years ago mm. because I know what I want to say. But then I think of things, you know, when Jesus in the Last Supper, he's telling his disciples, he's if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Mm. And I don't think he meant that as a threat. Like, if you love me, <laughs> you're going to prove it. Right. I think he meant that as he was just speaking truth. He's just saying it will flow out of you to the degree of your love for me. Mm-hmm. Your obedience 
will flow out. Yeah. So before I can answer Jesus' question to mm-hmm. Rob, do you, Rob, do you love me? I consider my life, and it's it 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 becomes it, it becomes a real question for me on a daily basis to say how how is my life reflecting love for Jesus? And of course, there are places that it is, yeah, and then there are places that it isn't. Mm-hmm. And so, for me to consider what God is doing in my heart through that question. Rob, do you love me? And this is Jesus speaking. And what's interesting about this, Nate, is like I've actually been saying, and I've even said this in a message a couple of times, it's like, I'm coming to love Jesus more in the last year or two than I, than I have yeah. in my whole life. And I think that's really true. Yeah. And so maybe the fact that Jesus is asking me that question now, I'm like, well, hold on. Haven't you heard me say that in the message? I'm loving you more than ever. But mm-hmm. maybe he's saying yes, <laughs> but, you know, or yes and. Yeah. Rob, do you love me? So that's the revelation is yeah. the, is a question. Uh-huh. Uh, my response is is openness, gra- gratitude for the question, um, sobering like yeah. wow, what would that even really mean to love Jesus more than I ever have before? I can't just be talking about how I feel about him. I've, it would overflow in my obedience. I want that to be true, and. Um, and I, I think sort of a, a deepening desire to love him, mm. which, which I think is a really good, at least first step. Yeah. Yeah, I think response a lot of times does look like a, a growth of desire or a growth of, um, I want more of this. You know, like that can even just be a first step towards um, further responses, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's sort of like t- a little bit of a fork in the road, you know, like I can— uh, no, I'm not really, you know, defensive, or I don't really want to engage that, or taking it the other way and saying, wait, okay, let me, you know, lean in <laughs> and actually pursue it, you know. Um, we just, uh, I would say, re-articulated some of our language uh, around following Jesus, and that has been such a big thing for me because it, it made me sort of like you're doing, um, ask myself like an inward look of, okay, am I following Jesus? And it seems like a no-brainer question. Like I've been a Christian for a long, long time since I was a kid. And isn't that what following Jesus is, is you're a Christian, you know? And so it starts leading to these harder questions of going like, I think you can be sort of a casual churchgoer. Um, you know, I, I like going to church, you know, and my, my kids are happy here. And there's a lot of like cultural things that can go around that. But to ask yourself, am I following Jesus every day? Am I, if I was a disciple, am I right behind him, just walking where he walks, acting like he acts, talking like he talks, you know, like, is that me, you know? And that's a much deeper question and a harder question to answer because like you said, parts of it, yeah, you know, parts of it are not, you know, there. And so um, personally, I just really love this new journey we're on with the mission, but also, um with the the John series of saying, let's look at the life of Jesus. I love being in a gospel when we do the um, the series. You know, the verse by verse is such a powerful way of getting. I mean, honestly, getting revelation because <laughs> I'm just watching how Jesus was. You know, and it's uh, there's a standard that I can put myself up against. Am I li- am I like that? You know, am I am I following him in the way that he was? You know, and so. Yeah, that's responses all over that because I think every time something comes up in the scripture, I can there's a new question to ask. Do I talk that way? Do I act that way? How do I embody what Jesus was all about in my own life? You know, and so yeah, that's a good that's a good word. 
I love it. So the encouragement that I think we're going to find as we walk through John together, because mm-hmm. we're, we're all going to realize, oh my goodness, I, I don't look anything like Jesus mm-hmm. most of the time. I, yeah. I think, I, I kind of hope that's what we all realize, because I think that's our reality. Yeah. But then I look at the disciples who were following Jesus as best as they could in those mm-hmm. moments in time in their lives. They were a mess. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really look like <laughs> anything like him sure. un, un, until later, mm-hmm. until later. So I think that can give us a lot of hope as we go. Yeah. But I do want to say this. It occurred to me, the last two topics we talked about, incarnation and following Jesus. Mm-hmm. When I look ahead to Fellowship's future, what I'm praying for and hoping for are people who are taking seriously the call to follow Jesus, and they're doing it in a life-on-life way mm-hmm. with people around them. Yeah. So that people, what people are experiencing is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's like God came to earth in a physical embodiment, but then Jesus, he was only here for three years, mm-hmm. and he, or sorry, thirty-three years. He ministered mm-hmm. for three years, yeah. and then he ascended back into heaven. Yeah. Well, what did he leave behind? His body, <laughs> his <laughs> body, us, yeah. and it's real and tangible in life on life. Yeah. So the, the degree that we are reflecting more and more the image of Christ and the way that we talk and the way that we live and the way that we choose to love people is the degree that they're actually going to be encountering. Jesus. Mm. And I think by and large, the church has really missed this for the last 10, 20, 30, who knows how many years, taking seriously the call to embody Jesus Christ to the people around us, starting with the closest people, our families, et cetera, and then moving out Mm -hmm. into everyone that we come in contact with. Yeah. Which is such a great response. You know, just what we do with that change in our lives is to look around and say, okay, I need to pass this on, you know, which is hopefully what we're always exploring how to do. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on uh, the podcast today and just talking through this stuff. And um, and I just wanted to thank you for um, the work that you guys put into the messages. You know, that is such a huge part of our church. Obviously, it is in a lot of churches is that moment where we open the Bible, we study it together. And um, I think you guys, you do such a great job, I think, of just shining the light back on Jesus, you know, and I'm thankful for teaching like that, you know, that really puts the emphasis there on what God has to say to us. So thanks uh, for that. Well, and, uh, yeah. well, thank you, A, for saying that. Yeah. B, I wanted to say I'm really glad for what you're doing here on this podcast, yeah. because I think the opportunity to connect these ideas together mm-hmm. of revelation and response is really significant in our church and beyond. Yeah. So I'm grateful for yeah. what you're doing and very happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, you can find us. Uh, we're Fellowship Bible Church in Nashville. We've got a Brentwood and a Franklin yeah. campus if you're in the area. And um, as always, we talk a lot about fellowship songs on here. So you can find us wherever you stream your music under fellowship songs. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Revelation Response is produced by Fellowship Bible Church and Fellowship Songs. You can check us out online at fellowshipbiblechurch.org or by searching Fellowship Songs wherever you stream your music. Also, please leave us a like and give us a follow to hear more episodes like this. Thanks for listening.